we turn this one on to? There, thank you. All right, let's all get back to our seats. It's so great to see you all here this morning. Good morning, good morning. Great to see everybody. Happy last week of Advent. Um, we are continuing as we have been to talk about what, God ha what happens when God shows up. And God has shown up this year. He's shown up showing us his hope, his peace, his joy, and now today, his love. And as we have done each week, I've invited someone to come up and share about how God has shown up in her life with his love. And so, Trisha, would you come on up? This is Trisha Ling. Sure. Kind of hoping the snowman was going to stay up here with me so I wouldn't be all alone. I'll take this off. Thank you. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Oh, Papa God, thank you so much for your love. <coughs> May you receive all the glory. May you be lifted up in this testimony. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, but now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. And the greatest of these is love, from 1 Corinthians 13. My testimony about love kind of begins with the opposite of love. Um, when I was 14, my mother suddenly passed away. Um, she had MS, multiple sclerosis, ever since, really, she was pregnant with me. And um, the circumstances surrounding her death, I blamed myself for them. So in my mind, I killed my mother. Now, nobody else ever said, church, it's all your fault, that you're to blame. But it didn't matter because my truth became I was responsible for my mother's death. So you can imagine all the things that I opened up the door to. I opened up fear. I had a huge, huge spirit of fear in my life. Um, I was terrified that my father would die when I got married. I transferred all that fear onto my husband. Um, <laughs> I had a tremendous amount of shame. I never told anyone that I felt this way, never spoke of it. I kept it deep, deep inside of me. I suffered from depression, low, low self-esteem, unworthiness. Um, all of those became my constant companions. And the root of all of that, of course, was self-hatred. Um, I was a mess when <laughs> I was 14. Um, but God, God was there. Um, ever since I was a little child, I grew up in the Methodist church, and I remember sitting in um, Sunday school in the little flannel graphs. Yes, I'm aging myself. Um, but I was just drawn to Jesus. I was drawn to him. And he protected me from so much mess um, when I was younger. When I was a teenager, I read through the Bible at least once. And I had that old Bible, some of you may remember it was called The Way. And, and at the back of the book, it had all these boxes beside um, all the chapters, and I was a list checker. So <laughs> I loved to, to make those checks on, those on the boxes, and I read it, but I didn't understand everything that I read. I didn't understand half of it, but I knew I had to get God's word in me. And I just had a, strain, a strong hunger for God. I wish there had been a magical prayer or a scripture that I had read that just made all that mess go away. But alas, it didn't. It was a process of 
building that relationship with Jesus. Um, and slowly, I learned to take my thoughts captive, and I was a young, um, in my young 20s, and then a young mom. Um, I got in Bible studies, and slowly, things started to change. Um, the fear started going away. I was a big proponent of face your fears, and, um, and that, that was, was going away, but the self-hate, hatred talk, um, the, um, the stepping in and out of confidence, the, the anxiety, all of that was a lot more difficult. Um, when I was in my late 30s, mid-30s, I spoke at a women's retreat at Gate City Vineyard, and for the first time ever, I shared the shame that I felt over my mother's death. Um, and I am another proponent of bringing those deep, dark secrets out into the light of God's love. Because when we keep things hidden, it has power over us. And the enemy uses it because it's a secret. And when you bring it out, he can help start healing that. And I did feel release from that shame. But I still hadn't dealt with that root of all my issues. Um, I was still dealing with insecurities, even with my family. I loved my family, and I loved George, but I never was completely secure in their love for me. I didn't feel like I fit in. I just felt like didn't know my place, and it affected every single relationship with my friends, my husband, my kids. I literally felt like I'm a very visual person. I felt like there was this wall. My love could only go so far, and then I would bang up against this wall, and it was driving me insane because I didn't know what the wall was, and I didn't know how to get rid of it. Um, I was super sensitive. Oh my goodness, poor George. My birthdays and Mother's Day were the worst. Nothing could go right. I would sometimes spend them in bed because I was so depressed, but there was one place where I felt completely loved, completely free of all my negativity, and that was when I danced. Yes. When I danced in worship, it was just me and God, and I was able to feel his love. That self-hatred could not be in that place, and I had this confidence and, and freedom, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, but when I wasn't dancing, that self-hatred kept coming back. Um, when my oldest daughter, Jess, some of y'all know her, she used to be on the worship team when they lived here, she was pregnant with our first granddaughter, Haley. And we were ecstatic, because I was like, I want some grandbabies. Um, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I was terrified. I was like, what if she doesn't like me? What if she doesn't love me? What if it's not as great as all my friends who were older and were already grandmothers? Um, and then Jess had a very traumatic delivery. We almost lost her. Um, all of y'all were just praying for her. Um, and I never left her side. And it was, it was just, it was, it was bad, you know, but she was okay. Haley was perfect. She only had to stay in the NICU for um, two weeks. Um, so um, it was good. But then a couple of weeks after that, when she came home, um, I had what I label my breakdown. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the trauma of, of that situation coupled with the trauma of losing my mother, but they just kind of collided and I felt like I was going to implode inside of me. And the funny thing, it was funny now, it wasn't funny then, we were in public and um, I could not stop crying. I just, I didn't know what was going on. The pain was so, 
so intense inside of me. And um, I started just um, taking my fingers and just clawing into my, my wrist. I wanted the pain, I wanted a physical pain to be more than the pain that was inside of me. And I was like, oh, that's why people cut. I finally understood that. Um, but it, praise God, it only lasted for about 24 hours. And then I did what I was really good at. I stuffed it because I didn't know what else to do with it, because I didn't feel worthy of even going to counseling. You know, that's what um, the enemy keeps you in that, that grip and that hold. Um, so about, um, skip to a few months later, and it was the beginning of the year, and I used to, um, or try to have like a prayer focus for every year, and um, our God is very sneaky at times, in a good way. And so my prayer focus for that year was, um, I wanted to love what God loved. And, um, you know, I wanted to love the, um, the outcasts. I wanted to love the people that maybe sometimes the church hasn't done very well in loving the big church, not our church, um, and who were different from me, who had different beliefs, different faiths, different um, sexual identities, all of it. And so I just immersed myself in that and because um, I wanted to love like Jesus. And, um, and God was like, that's great, that's good. But there's one, there's someone that I love dearly and you do not. And I was like, who? <laughs> Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And he said, it's you. And I was like, oh. ding. The light bulb came on and I was pierced through because all those times I had hated myself and I had cursed myself by all my thoughts and everything and God is like mm -mm, you're not going to get away with us that was your heart's cry to love whom God loves so you have to love yourself so um, um, so I truly started slowly allowing me to love myself that I um, was worthy of that um, and the truth that he made me worthy and I started letting go of my need to be validated by others. His and his only validation was all that I needed. I became less sensitive and more joyful. My family started noticing that, hey, mom's, you know, that's not getting to mom like it used to. Um, I had had small taste of that freedom when I was um, dancing and now it was finally spilling over into um, my everyday life. and that wall started coming down and I was like, oh, I just tasted of that freedom and it was wonderful. And I, um, I started really understanding the Apostle John when he would say, this is the disciple. This is the one whom Jesus loved. You know, a lot of people say, well, he was cocky. You know what? Nobody, Jesus didn't love anybody else. No, he was so consumed with that truth of that being loved by God that that's how he named himself. And guess what? We all get to have that name. We are all his beloved. Um, so I knew that God was doing this work in me. And so I called on Joy. I know she's here. I hugged her this morning. I don't know where she is. But anyway, Joy and Relisa. There you are. <laughs> you can't see the lights. And I said, ladies, I need y'all to pray over me because God has been doing this work in me and I need it sealed because I am tired. I am sick and tired of stepping in and out of it. 
I want it solidified in my life, and I need y'all to help me. And so um, we went into the prayer room and just had some mighty, mighty time of prayer. And, um, and you know, sometimes when you, when you deal with stuff like that, it can be difficult. It can be hard, and, but it wasn't. It was easy because I had already, I was primed and primed. You know, I had been doing that hard work. And so, um, but the, the most powerful part was when they took me back to the memory at the last time that I saw my mom. And um, that had memory that had been so full of shame and guilt and hatred when I first started hating myself. And, um, and we pictured Jesus being there because that reality, Jesus was there. And, um, and so he healed that moment for me, that memory. And it was extremely powerful. And, um, and then I, um, I knew, I've been thinking about this for about a year, that I wanted, I wanted to do a stone of remembrance so that I would never, ever forget. I would never call myself anything but beloved. And so I decided I was going to get a tattoo. And um, all my older kids had tattoos, but I was like, I'm never getting a tattoo. I don't want to purposely stick needles in my arm. That's crazy. Um, but... God has such a sense of humor. Every time I say I'm not going to do something, God's like, <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. And so, um, and it had to be right here where my nails had clawed into my arm. And so I knew it, I wanted a cross, and I wanted it to say beloved, and I had my beloved, George, um, uh, design it for me. And then when I went, it was, it was my birthday, and it was Easter weekend. And I tell you, it was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I've ever had. And um, when he went to put the, um, the what's it called? Oh. What? Template, thank you. <laughs> On, um, it was upside down. And I was like, wait, wait. And he's like, what? And I said, it's upside down. He goes, well, not really, because when you hold your arm like this, it'll be right side up. And some people are very superstitious about upside down cross and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so I thought for a moment, and I thought, no, because when I look at it, it would be gibberish. You know, it would, not, it would be backwards. And I said, this is for me. It's not about anybody else. This is for me so that I will never forget. So I can look at the place where I dug my nails and just a little lower from where his nails went into his hands. So, um, so yeah, um, I just have to give him all the glory. Um, he loved me. He healed me. And, um, oh, and um, forgot about this part. God used um, my granddaughter, too, because, um, yes, Haley loves me. <laughs> and he used her unconditional love to also help heal me, too. And we have a just very, very special relationship. So God is so good. He redeems. He loves um, even when we don't love ourselves, and his love is strong enough to literally break down those walls and give us complete freedom. So thank you for letting me share. Wow. I feel like we should just take a moment. I feel like somebody in this room may have really resonated with what Trisha just shared. 
about self-hate, about shame. And so we just want to take a moment and remember that we, we need to love whom you love and you love us. So I just pray for a moment for us just to receive that love right now. Pray, I pray healing over self-hatred, negative self-talk, shame over things that we did or that we didn't even do. You are not a God of shame. You have redeemed us. You have cleansed us. You have forgiven us. There's things to forgive, Lord. You love us. We receive it, Lord. We receive it. We receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, wow. Well, we could, as is, the, as is always the problem when you have testimonies, <laughs> I could stop now. It's just beautiful. Thank you so much, Tricia. It was really powerful. And, you know, we're, we're finishing up our series on Advent, When God Shows Up. When God shows up, there's hope, there's peace, there's joy, and there's love. There's love. He shows up. And, you know, in some ways, preaching on love should be the easiest of sermons, <laughs> right? It's what our whole faith is about. It should be easy to talk about love, um, but in other ways, it's a hard thing to talk about, right? Because love is a little overused as a word. It's used in all the songs. It's, um, you know, it's even in church, we talk all the time about God's love, and for some of us, it can, as Trisha kind of implied, like she'd been a Christian for a long time, but that somehow it hadn't gotten from the head to the heart, right? And so that's so true for us. It can be hard to, to really absorb what love means, um, and even the, the manger scene, you know, knowing that Jesus came because he loved us. Yes, we know that's true, but, you know, tell me something I don't know, Beth. Like, so what's, what is fresh that we can learn about love today? What, how can we let that love of God go from what we know into our heart, into the places, the deep places that he knows where we need the love of God? So I'm going to, just praying this morning that where you need the love of God this morning, he's going to spe speak there. It may not even have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But God knows where you need to know his love for you. And he wants you to see that in a new way, in a fresh way, this season as we celebrate him. And so, um, I, you know, I did a little study. Paul and I were talking about love this week and, and some things about, about it. And one interesting fact came up as we were talking about love in the Bible. And it's that there's one New Testament writer who talks about love more than any other writer. Who is that? Anybody know? Yeah, Trisha kind of gave it away. She talked about John, but it's true. It's John. In fact, um, if, you, if we have the slide, well, you actually have the handout if you need to look at it, but there, I, I, I did a little word study on the words um, arapeho, agapeho, and agape, which are to love and love, you know, the verb and the noun, and if you look it up, it's that those two words are used 28 times in the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're also used 44 times just in the book of John. So way more than the other gospel writers all put together. 40% of all references to love in the New Testament are made by John. So what's with John? Why is he so interested in love? Um, you know, why, why is he this, you know, uh, writing about love so much? And then there's another interesting fact, which again, Trisha mentioned already, which is awesome, that, that 
when he refers to himself in the book of John, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved or a beloved disciple. Um, John 13, 23, this is when Jesus is telling the disciples that one of them will betray him. And what does he say? This is how John describes the moment. He says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. He's talking about himself. Same way in John 19, 26, this is when Jesus was on the cross and his mother and John were standing next to him, each other, and he looks down, and this is how John records it in John 19, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved was standing nearby, he said to her, woman who here is your son. So we know he's talking about himself, and just like, you know, Tricia mentioned, you know, what is with that? Like, does he think he's, like, the favorite? Like, dad likes me best, you know? Uh, is he, what, what's that all about? And if you look at studies on John, and if you, if you look at the context, and you look uh, at what we know about him, we conclude that it actually, it's not pride that calls, causes John to call himself beloved disciple or the one that Jesus loved. It's actually humility because what he has decided is that nothing else about him matters except that he's loved by God. Not his name, not his family. That was a big deal. Who were you? Who did you belong to? What was your place in society and in this community, in this village, in this tribe? None of that mattered. The only most important fact about him is that he's greatly loved by God. Isn't that amazing that his identity was so wrapped up in that? And that, would that be true for us? That we would not feel we have to puff ourselves up and say, well, I'm a businessman or I'm a, you know, I'm a preacher, I'm a this, I'm a that. That we wouldn't have to worry about our name. That, we would, that the most important fact about you and me is that we're loved by God. Yeah. Would that be true for us? And the interesting thing about John is the way he, reason he got like this is because he was so close to Jesus. He was the closest associate to Jesus. He, he was with him in all the, the important moments, and we always see him seated next to Jesus. He was, he was closest to Jesus. His relationship with Jesus was so close, was so intimate. And so maybe that's why John was always talking about love. Maybe that's why John couldn't stop talking about love, because that relationship with Jesus had transformed him. How could it not? How can you recline next to Jesus at the table day after day after day and not be changed? Right? So, so he was so changed by God and he couldn't stop talking, therefore, about the love of God. You know people, when something makes a big impact on them, they can't stop talking about it, right? You ever have a friend that goes on a diet and loses a whole bunch of weight? They can't stop telling you how you should eat, whether it was vegan or paleo or Weight Watchers or whatever, low carb. You know, they're going to tell you, right, because it made such a difference to them, they can't stop talking about it. Or maybe somebody who read a book and that book changed their mind about politics or religion or, or whatever, and, you know, they can't stop talking to you about the book. They buy it for you for Christmas. You're like, enough with the book already. <laughs> but they can't stop because it's changed them. And so I can't stop talking about it. This is John. John can't stop talking about love because it's changed him, fundamentally changed him. John understood love the best because he experienced it by staying close to Jesus. So all of this is enough to convince me that we got to listen to John. I think if we're going to talk about love, we should look at what John writes about it. I call him the love guru. 
You know, he's like the, the Dr. Phil of the Bible, right? He knows about love, right? He knows about what it is, and we're going to listen to what he says. So we're going to talk about two passages about love that John wrote, one from the Gospel of John, which he wrote, but also from um, 1 John. So John wrote the Gospel of John and also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the letters in the Bible. So we're going to turn to John 15, 9. You have it in the handout, or you can turn your, on, it, on your phone if you want. But as I'm reading these passages, I want you to be listening, okay? Let's listen as I'm reading and thinking about what, is, what, do you, what strikes you about what God says about love in these passages. The first one is John 15, nine, starting at chapter 9 to 14 and then skipping ahead to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one friend, one's friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. This is my command, love each other. In 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Great passages, strong passages on love from the Apostle John. The first thing you might have noticed as you read these is that God loves you. God loves you. Really loves you in an incredible way. I got stuck on the very first line of that gospel passage that I read to you, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father loved Jesus, so does he love you. Do you. Can you imagine how much the Father, God, loves his Son? We're talking about Trinity love here. I mean, this is in the Godhead, in the being that is God, that is love, that is infinite, powerful, perfect. That love, that's the kind of love they have. They're up there in perfect love with one another, and he says, that's the love I have for you. Is that incredible? I never, ever saw that before, and, and this is how much God loves you, and so no wonder he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I mean, what joy to be loved by an infinite God, infinitely, powerfully, unconditionally, just, just beyond anything you could, the one who created love, okay? The one who is love, everything about God is love. That's the love that's on you. It's crazy. It's, it's staggering. And then we look at 1 John, and we get a glimpse of this Christmas story. We get a glimpse of the incarnation and what it truly means when he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So that's why Jesus came, right, his love. And then he kind of repeats himself again, and he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, and I'm going to stop there. Not that we loved God. 
I want you to get it out of your head this morning that God's love for you has anything to do with what you do. How many people have I heard say, I'm not worthy of God's love. I didn't, you don't know what kind of a life I live. You know, I say I'm one thing, I do another. Like, I'm not worthy. I, I can't be loved. God must not love me. Are you kidding me? That doesn't change anything about how God feels about you. You might be the worst. You say, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Maybe Gate City Vineyard has the worst sinner here. Maybe, maybe. One of us is the worst. And God loves you infinitely, unconditionally. It has nothing to do with your behavior. Now, does God hope and wish and pray and work with you so that you can start to live according to his ways and you will be much happier and you'll be much more joyful and you'll be much healthier if we live according to God's ways? Yes, of course he desires that for you and for me. But even if you say, I got nothing, I'm not doing any of that, he still loves you. Loves, loves, loves you. So this is what he says. He says, not that we loved God. It's got nothing to do with you. <laughs> not, not anything to do with what you have done, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the kind of practical, put it in action love that Jesus has. He's right there. He came into this earth. He humbled himself, placed himself inside the womb of a 14-year-old girl, was born and walked this whole journey all the way from the nativity to the cross because he loves you. It's, it's incredible. Simply and amazingly, he loves us just the way we are. So this is why John wants to talk about it so much. This is what he experienced because he, he got to walk with Jesus very personally. And as we walk with him, we will experience it too. We will start to see the love of God. Even as Trisha shared, the more she was in Bible study and praying and gotten people, she was learning more and more to, to set aside those, those thoughts that are not of God and to realize how much he really loves her. And so this is true for us. So we can, we can learn that. But here's the second thing that I see out of these John passages, which is fascinating to me, um, is that there's a second kind of message. It doesn't stop with just talking about God loving us. He says very clearly that not only are we to have this love for ourselves, but to pour it out for others. And so look at what he says in John 15, um, verses, uh, starting at verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I've loved you. You're, you're crazy loved, overwhelmingly loved. But now love each other that way, same way. So as the Father loved the Son, Son loves us, we're to love others. Lots of big, unconditional love here. Greater love has no one than this, it continues, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, and this is my command, love each other. And then 1 John 4 <clears throat> says it again, but in a different way, except verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Skipping ahead to verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So it was like it was completely obvious to John that if you're going to have received all this love from God, it's going to naturally pour out of you. It's, it's, part of the, it's part of this incredible, wonderful cycle that, that when we love God, that God loves us and then 
from that cycle, we love others as we also love God. So it just, the cycle is, is a God love cycle that we are to be pouring out. I was thinking about this this week because the other words that we've been talking about in Advent, hope and peace and joy, for the most part, are more about us in a way. It's what God gives to us in the midst of us living our lives. Now, yes, we're supposed to be agents of peace and joy uh, and hope for others, but if you look at most of the scriptures and most of what we talk about with those words, they tend to be more just thank, thank you, Lord, for us. They're for our own life. But love has a different trajectory. It's meant to be received and then poured out. In fact, that's how it works. It doesn't really work if we don't pour it out. It's interesting. and Because John says this is how love is made complete. See, the cycle's not complete if you don't pour it back out. It's, there's something wrong with the cycle. So this has huge implications, church. Because if we think that we can be a Christian who receives the love of God, we just receive it, we receive it, and we just love it, and that's great, but we don't pour it out. He's saying, I I didn't even know you. You don't even know God. You may not have even really experienced the love of God at all. If If we're not pouring it out, what we experience may not have been God's love. Because God's love pours out of us. This is convicting. I don't know about you. Love needs to be poured out if we're to be complete, if we're even going to experience that love for ourselves. It gets stuck if we don't pour it out. And so we don't get to receive the love. It's like the wall. Trisha shared. It, it, we, we hit a wall if we're not pouring it out. I'm sure you've all heard about the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea is all full of salt and, and uh, minerals because it's got one tributary coming in from the River Jordan, and it's got nothing pouring out. So what happens is the water just has to evaporate, it has no place to go, and so the thing gets saltier and saltier and saltier and saltier. Now, it's real fun to go there, apparently. I've never been, but apparently you can go, like, float on the water. It's so salty. But it's dead. There is nothing alive in that thing. Nobody, nothing can live, just very little plant life and no fish or anything. And so if you are a fish swimming along on the River Jordan, and you're like having a good time, you think, ooh, a lake ahead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fun there, and you get into that lake, guess what? <laughs> it's the end. It just dies. Even the fresh water from the River Jordan, as it comes in, it gets to that lake and it just stagnates. So that is with us in the love of God. The love of God, as wonderful and pure and life-giving as it is, if it pours into us and is not poured out, it is going to stagnate in you. It's going to stagnate. Unless we love others as he has loved us, it's as if we've never received the love of God at all. So this is a powerful word. This is a powerful word and has a very, very obvious and simple application. (laughs) Love each other. Love other people. Love all the folks that are coming into your life. And I actually think this is a very timely word for the week before Christmas. Because I'm guessing that we may have some opportunities to love some people who are harder to love. Am I, am I t- speaking to anybody here today? <laughs> some of you maybe have a family coming in or you're visiting family. We love our family but sometimes they can test our ability to love. Am I right? 
Some of you have teenagers coming back from college. We love our teenagers. We love our college students. But man, they make a mess. <laughs> Stay out till all hours. They're loud. Sometimes they can be harder to love. I know some of you got your kids home from school for two weeks, I think, right? A long time. That can test our ability to love, right? I think I'm right in saying that you and I might need an extra dose of love this week so that we can pour it out. There's increased potential for arguments and fights over the dinner table with politics and religion and COVID and all that stuff. There's increased potential for irritation as the messes are made and there's still stuff to be done. There's more noise, more whiny children, more difficult relatives. This is the week, right? This is the week that it happens. And so I have a proposal for you this holiday, and uh, a challenge, if you will. And, you know, it's a challenge I'm issuing to myself as much as to you, okay? This is, we're all in this together. <laughs> we're all on this journey with love and wanting to love. Um, instead of this Christmas thinking about what we're receiving or how much fun we're having or if everything's going according to our plan, how about us as Christ followers as the beloved disciples that we are, as people of the kingdom, how about we purpose in our heart, we decide that we are simply going to pour love out. Just pour it out. That we're going to be more patient, more tolerant of all those folks that say all the things that they say. Just more loving, less defensive. To show the beautiful love of God to those who are harder to love, to those who have faults and idiosyncrasies and opinions, to just love, to pour out that love of God, to, let, to be ourselves so filled up with the love of God, to recognize and remember that we are such a beloved disciple that we can simply pour it out. It can come spilling out of us like out over a riverbank and spilling out onto the bank over, on the, along the side, nourishing everything around us. We can have that love within us and pour it out to others. Does anybody feel like they need Jesus to do this well? <laughs> I sure do. We need him. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us a greater revelation of your love for us. A greater understanding of that love that's in the Godhead that you pour out on us. Would we help us when we look at the manger scene, not just to see how cute and sweet it is and maybe smelly and all that stuff. No, Lord, let us see love. Let us see love that was for, for you and me. That if we were the only person on this earth, Jesus still would have come. Do you believe that? Amen. We say it, but do we believe that? That he loves you, not just the person next to you. I know right now some of you are saying, I know that's how God feels about so-and-so, but not me. I want you to reject that. Because that's from the pit. It's from the pit of hell. God loves you just as you are today. I don't know how you came in today, if you're tired or annoyed or sinful or whatever you came in today. God loves you. Lord Jesus, would you fill us up with that love? Amen. Let your love be complete in us, Lord. The prayer I want us to say together today is this, help me to love as you have loved me. Can you just say that with me? Help me to love as you have loved me. 
Help me to love as you have loved me. Say it again. Help me to love as you have loved me. Say it one more time. Help me to love as you have loved me. One more time. Help me to love as you have loved me. Hmm. Let's pray. Let's just close our eyes. And let's be a receiver right now. Let's receive his love. Let's just be filled up in it. I want to invite our prayer teams to go ahead and come because if you this morning sense that you need to know this better, that you need to know the love of God and receive that, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to be ready to pray that with you. You can just go ahead and come on up. Ask the band to come up as well. We could start to play. But I want us to just take a moment of, of quiet in the presence of Jesus. You're in the presence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son are shining all this love on each other, and they're pouring it out on you, along by by the Holy Spirit. So would you just take a moment, receive. 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 Quiet the voice that says, I don't deserve it or I'm not worthy, or give it to someone else, God, who needs it more. No, you need it. I need it. We need the love of God. And Lord, we also pray for those who we might be seeing this week who might test our love just a little bit family members, children, maybe sometimes our spouses. Lord, would you help us to simply love unconditionally? And I would invite you, if you want to come and be prayed for, for that you would have love for those, those people or a person who's coming into your life this week, who's coming to your mind right now so that you could love them. This is the moment to come up and be prayed for. Help us pray, let us pray with you that you'd pour out that love. Help me to love as you have loved me, Lord. Help me to love as you have loved me, Lord. Help me to love as you have loved me, Jesus. have a couple minutes of silence. You're welcome to come up to pray and then after that the band will lead us in our final song.